This is David Suisse. Welcome to my podcast. Today, we have Dr. Tomer Persico. Welcome, Tomer. Thank you. Welcome. Research Thank fellow, you. scholar in residence at the Shalom Hartman Institute, and who is now based in San Francisco. His fields of study are contemporary spirituality, Jewish renewal, and forms of secularization and religiosity in Israel. And his book, The Jewish Meditative Tradition, deals with techniques of meditation in the Jewish tradition. He's also an expert on the political situation in Israel and a whole bunch of other things. So I'm hoping that uh, we'll cover as much of it as possible. Tomer, why don't we start with uh, Judaism, how it's evolved in Israel versus how it's evolving in America? Oh, well, that's... That's a small qu question. Qu quite some podcasts to, to go through. Um, maybe we'll, we'll, we'll start with Judaism entering modernity. I mean, I mean, obviously, every Jewish identity that we see today is not a traditional Jewish identity. The Jewish identities that were, or the Jewish communities that were uh, 200 years ago, either in Europe or Muslim countries. Something has happened, and, and, and Jews have had to really relinquish their traditional sort of ethnic communities, uh, cultural identities, and, and, and make up and really create new identities. And if you look at, at the Zionist movement, it offered a certain identity to, to Jews, a certain, uh, even you can say, a certain way for Jews to be modern. It was the national way. It offered the Jews an identity as a national, as a people, as, an, as a nation. Which is very different than the experience we have in America. Deserving a nation state. And, 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 and that's exactly right. If you look at other identities that, that uh, developed for Jews who, who wish to stay in, in diaspora, they developed Jewish identities that defined their Judaism more as a religion, not as a nation. As the religious, worshipful part, confessional part of their life, while their nationality would be German or French or British or American. So that's quite an, a fundamental difference already there in the way these Jews define for themselves what their Judaism is, right? Right, and, and if you're defining it as a nation, then you're being Jewish as you're walking to the grocery store. You're right. being Jewish as you're living there, and that alone becomes an expression of your Judaism, whereas if you're in the 2% of a nation um, that's Jewish, then you have to go out of your way to be Jewish. Of course. And that creates a whole different environment. But I, what, what I've noticed, Tomer, is that there's a real sort of tension now where it seems to me that the two communities are just so antagonistic mm -hmm. um, that, for example... Uh, with the woman of the wall, mm -hmm. and it was so disappointing. And it seems to me that there's just a big schism, where we're just going in the wrong direction, where mm -hmm. we're not understanding each other. And then it's inevitable that these kind of crises are going to come up. What's your thought yeah. on that? But, but again, this this misunderstanding between the communities is is lodged in a very fundamental difference in value systems, in the frame, the whole framework uh, through which we think about our Jewish lives. For Jews in the United States, most of them at least, Judaism is a liberal, progressive, egalitarian, you know, uh, 
תיקון עולם, sort of escapade, right? This is the reason that led of Judaism for many here, the primal identity. In Israel, it's more an ethnic identity, it's more a traditional orthodox identity, right? It's more an, an, an including nationalism, it's more of a nationalist identity. Mm-hmm. So really, people, again, from the different definitions of Judaism that they have, they, uh, they have different expectations of, of, the, of what the public sphere will look like. And, 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 when, and, and the women of the wall issue is, is a, in a very illustrative example of these collisions, of, this, this, uh, uh, of what happens when, when a certain type of Jewish identity clashes with the exact opposite. Yeah, and what's interesting too is that there is an aspect, I mean, the Prime Minister of Israel understands American Judaism, and there is a movement within Israel that sees Judaism the way it's seen in America. In fact, some of the activists right. in the Women of the Wall are from Israel. So there's an overlap uh, between the two. But fundamentally, where we seem to be at each other's throats right now, and it's just getting worse, like most Israelis don't even care so much, right, about the whole issue of egalitarian prayer, prayer at the wall. Is that true? I, I wouldn't say so, but I think you're pointing your finger at a... At, uh, at a divergence inside Israeli society. Because mm-hmm. you said many in Israel are today really adopting the frame of mind of American Judaism. And I, 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 let's, I would simply call it a sort of a privatization of Judaism mm-hmm. in which for them, for many in Israel today, Judaism is a private project in which they engage or re-engage with tradition and they can learn in, in uh, pluralistic Batei uh, Midrash, yeshivas, and they can study Kabbalah. And, right, because there's no substance in ethnic identity. Ethnic identity is just a mood. It's an ambiance. It's walking. Yes, but it's but lacking the substance. And this is interesting yeah. that there is a movement that wants a little more religion, the study of text among non-religious Jews in Israel and the, you know, uh, Baba Mia festivals during the Shalosh Regalim. Right. There's a search so, for substance. So definitely there's that. And, and for these Jews, the conception of Judaism as... Uh, as a liberal, uh, sort of privatized uh, way of life is understood, and they have adopted it, and thus they understand American Judaism. And you Judaism. lived it yourself. Yeah, Because that's right. after I'm, the army, you went to the Far East, and you studied Buddhism and everything. So I think part of the, there's an Israeli chutzpah who decides, don't tell me how I'm going to do my Judaism. Today. Yeah, today, that's right. Today. Yeah, that's right. And, they, and they're, they're telling, especially the Haredim, they're saying, you're not going to define Judaism for me. That's right. I'm gonna, so there is something Israeli about this idea of privatization. That's right. But this is, I would say, since the 90s, maybe, since the beginning of the 90s. It wasn't always like that. Uh, the, the most secular Jews were, all, were always, of course, secular and even anti-religious. But they had this certain... Uh, respect slash awe in front of traditional ultra-Orthodox, mainly Jews. And we know that the status quo, that uh, the, the famous status quo between religion and state, which Ben-Gurion reached with Agudat Israel, the ultra-Orthodox um, organization, this is 47. We know that that held Israeli, in Israeli society, held its place for quite a long time. 
So secular Jews in Israel had a certain, uh, a certain ingrained respect for the ultra-Orthodox establishment, and, and they would not say before the 90s, well, I don't want to get married in the chief rabbinate, and I don't think it's necessary, and I think it's legitimate to, to get married in another way. Most would not. Today, much more do, and the number is increasing. This is because something has changed. What has changed is their uh, personal quest for Jewish identity. For them, that has legitimized a, a, a diverse way to think about Jewish identity. And in that context, they may be more open to what they can learn from American Judaism. In, definitely, and they do learn. I mean, I mean, even they would say, we, we actually were in the U.S. and we saw in a shul people who are not Orthodox and they're praying. And right. why can't we do that also? And, and, and they would adopt such things. But, but as I said before, this is only one major trend today in Israeli society. And it's fascinating that you have a couple of trends happening at the same time. Exactly. Because, you know, paralleling that trend is still that more Mizrahi, traditional, status quo kind of situation right. where you're not going to search out for a reform or a conservative synagogue. Right. Where even though you don't go to synagogue regularly, you're still going to pick one that's orthodox, even though that's the word right. orthodox is not really an Israeli word. <laughs> you know, uh, so you see both of those things happening simultaneously. Exactly right. Yeah. And I think on... on if we, if we if we analyze that trend in Israeli society, we will see it also defines in Judaism uh, its Judaism much more in an ethnic way, in an ethnic or ethno-national way. Uh, for these people, Judaism is a great tribe. It's a people. It's a tribe. It's an ethnic community, and they feel loyalty towards their, that community. And, and it's they, yeah. And they would want to protect that community. And I think that can explain a lot in the political field today. And it's going in a different direction, I think, here in America. This idea of tribalism. I mean, the force of gravity is going in a different direction. It's more yeah, universalism. It's more inclusive of different faiths and so forth. Of um, so those are genuine differences, and at some point we have to just say it's okay <laughs> if we're different. Yeah. But we're not saying that right now. Well, you know, the General Assembly, their theme this year, you know, was we need to talk, <laughs> you mm -hmm, know, mm -hmm. as if that's the kind of thing you say before you fire somebody. Uh, I don't think they meant it, but... It was a. Uh, it was not a. I don't know. It's not friendly, Tomer. I don't know what's going on. Is there well, any? You know, I, I, any, I, any hope? Because we're going in different directions right now. First, I will say I can't. I can't blame uh, uh, U.S. Jews for feeling alienated and for feeling even a bit humiliated. Yes. I mean, I mean you mentioned the Kotel thing. This yes. is. I mean, if we were talking about live and let live, the women of the world don't want ultra-Orthodox Haredi men not to pray at the wall. They just Correct. want their own Correct. opportunity to pray as they believe. And, and here, really, what we see is, is, is parts of Israeli society rejecting them even violently. Yes. So, you know, I mean, how can you blame them for, for feeling uh, estranged? Oh, no, I to totally get that. And that's why uh, I don't feel optimistic about where the thing is going. And especially when they reneged on the deal... Sharonsky had led this major long process of trying to find this Solomonic solution yeah. to the, the crisis, and it looked like 
we'd made progress and then we took a step back. I think fundamentally... It's not we. It's yeah, the government. The, the government. government, led by Netanyahu, took a step back uh, under pressure from the, ortho- the ultra-Orthodox and the Khardal, if you know the, the extreme, uh, almost ultra-Orthodox part of the religious Zionism. They were the active agents behind the, the withdrawal from, from the agreement. And obviously, you know, you reach an agreement and withdraw, you can expect some repercussions. Speaking of the government, uh, the, I think one of the biggest problems is the, the uh, inability to separate the Haredi from the coalitions. And as long as the Haredi are going to be part of the coalition then it's very difficult to imagine that we can make progress with American Jewry. That's the thing. There would have been no problem to form a government that is center, either center-right, center-left, or center-right and center-left together. There was such a government only four years ago, yeah. right? It was the Likud and Yesh Atid, and, mm-hmm. and on the other side, Abayta Yudi with Bennett at its head. It's, it's, it's possible. The thing is... It doesn't happen because of the uh, of the of the of the disagreements with the Palestinian issue, right? Mm-hmm. Were it not for the Palestinian struggle issue, etc., that that separates right from left, there would have been no problem joining together the secular center of Israel and really reforming religion and state relations across the board. That's not happening because... Yeah, because the, the Haredi party will just rubber stamp any legislation or any uh, policy on the Palestinian issue as long as they yeah. get what they want for religious reasons. That's right. And, and that's what happens. Even so, though, today, though today we have to say they are much more right-wing than they were 20, 30 years ago. Mm-hmm. It would be hard for an ultra-Orthodox party, either Yadut Torah or Shas, to go to with go. the left. It would be very hard. Even to go with the center left or even yeah. to go with the center if they want to accept the new peace plan by uh, President Trump. How do you see the elections? They're coming up in a, in a few weeks, April 9th. Um, how do I see? Well, uh, well, of course, we're talking about, uh, basically, we're talking about Kahol Avan versus the Likud, right? Kahol Avan is the blue and white party. Right. We have the, the generals. Yeah, the generals yeah, and Yair Lapid, the generals and the, and the and, reporter, and Lapid. Uh, the column writer, and against Netanyahu. And, and I would say this, these elections revolve about, uh, on, on two subjects. First, as any re- elections in the last decades, uh, decade have been, they revolve around Netanyahu. Netanyahu, Netanyahu's personality, do you love him? Do you hate him? Do you want him? Do you uh, unconditionally want to get rid of him? So, so this is, of course, an issue in these elections, Netanyahu himself. Secondly, I would say that uh, uh, a fundamental issue being really offered to the public to decide upon in these elections is the whole, um, the whole subject of the rule of law, of uh, norms in governance, of uh, really a sort of basic etiquette in which you run the state. Over the last four years, especially, Netanyahu has basically broken, I wouldn't say all the norms, but, 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 but quite a, a fundamental, a, a significant number of, 
of basic norms which we thought were were uh, consensual in Israeli politics and and he's of course indicted in three different cases including bribery the this whole uh, uh, amalgam of of issues is coloring the Likud and Netanyahu as the and and others okay as as the party of uh, of that that questions the rule of law that questions uh, the legitimacy of the Supreme Court that questions the legitimacy of of really the, the whole legal system in Israel and what Gantz and his uh, co-party members uh, his um, offer is something else is Gantz is trying to say to to the center center right listen I will be no less security uh, concentrated than Netanyahu I will no less protect the people protect the tribe from outer threats but I will do it in a in a legal way in a clean way in a clean-handed way in a, in a in a way that respects norms of governance. This is basically their message. Well, let's put aside uh, Netanyahu's personal mistakes okay. on the offense that he did, the way he would challenge the police and the way he really undermined. Supreme Court. Yeah, yeah. personally. Mm-hmm. Let, let's, if we put aside that for a mm-hmm. second, is there any merit to the argument that the legislative branch has taken on too much power, and even though it's so that they're like unelected, mm-hmm. you know, and they've taken away some of the power that should normally belong in the Knesset. I think that's definitely a legitimate uh, argument, and I think it, I think it has truth in it. Um, many people, or or at least some very learned people who are not right winged at all, claim this. Uh, many Mountner, Professor Many Mountner is a professor uh, of law and 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 uh, governance. Uh, uh, has written a book about it. So it's not. What's the name? Many Mountner. Okay, I'll make uh, a note of that. And and he's definitely not right winged. So it's not it's not anything that you can't claim, and it's not anything that you can't try to reform in in Israel in the legal system in Israel. And, uh, do, do you think they have, or that they've gone too far with what the Minister of Justice? First of all, they Shaket haven't. They, they haven't reformed. No, I mean the they're system. just putting new ah, justices. Yeah, I mean I don't think they have gone too far. I think I think that's also legitimate to to you know to replace old judges with new judges who are closer to your uh, line of thought. That's not the issue. The issue is the continuous non-relenting attacks, verbal attacks against the legal system and against the Supreme Court, basically blaming the Supreme Court on everything from terrorist activity to economical uh, stagnation. And they can't come from the leader of a country. That's That's, that's the, for me, that's the fundamental problem. Of course. Even if you may have a point, I think you, you have a certain responsibility. Now, what about the very controversial issue? of the nation-state law and the uh, distinction between equal rights and the right of self-determination. Is that a a circle that can't be squared, which is the idea that there's equal rights, but the Jews have an extra right of self-determination, like Bibi tried to express this week? Well, I have to say here, I I diverge from most opinions in my, my own camp the, the leftist camp, I think this circle can be squared, let's say. I think the nation law 
in itself, the idea of a nation law is legitimate. I think the idea of, of legislating that, that uh, the state of Israel is the national home of the Jewish people and the Jewish people only is legitimate. The problem with the nation law is, except that, first of all, it was simply done for spite, basically, for just to, you know, as a, as a political gambit. But except of that, the problem is that, that it didn't include in it a clause that states explicitly that all citizens of Israel have equal rights and will be and that their equal rights be, will be protected. We have nation laws, so nation state laws in other countries, in other European countries, uh, democracies, etc. But always you will have a clause there that says minority community rights and individual rights will be protected. That's what you don't have in this nation law. And I think the, 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 uh, the anger that was felt by the Druze community in Israel was justified in that, on that account. I think the response from that I've heard is that uh, that wasn't the purpose of this particular basic law because the idea of equal rights was already covered in another basic law. Yeah. Is that that's exactly what they said. We have the uh, basic law of uh, human dignity mm-hmm. um, and freedom uh, legislated in '92, and and what and and what the the explanation was, yeah, that law already takes care of basic rights and, and equality, and we don't want, need to legislate this again. But in that basic law, there is not one word about equality. Mm-hmm. It is true that the Supreme Court interpreted it in ways that further e- uh, equality. But, but you don't have it actually in a basic law. And as you might know, the basic, our basic laws are our constitution, constitution. in making, mm-hmm. right? Correct. Uh, let, let's go back to what you said about the two key points in the coming elections. And the first one was this larger-than-life presence of Netanyahu who seems to loom over the country. And it's, I don't know how he's done it. Um, it's amazing, really. It really is amazing that um, everybody looks like a midget, you know, and all the ones who were close to him eventually mo- stepped aside, Gideon Saar, anybody was a threat. Oh, this is Netanyahu's doing, of, of course. Of course, of course. And then he ends up, you know, on top of the mountain. Is there any validity to his larger-than-life power? Is there any sort of genuine accomplishment when you see everything he's done in the world with the relationship with Africa and China and India and the way he represents Israeli interest uh, yeah. around the world. He's really intelligent. I've heard him speak about cybersecurity and uh, everything that Israel does. I mean, he's really an impressive figure, you know, yeah. on the world stage. Do you think? I, I think on the world stage, certainly he's, uh, he's, he's an agent that is taken into account. He's very well-respected, and that certainly you can't take from him. Now, until about two years ago, I would say that apart from that, he has no real accomplishment. But I think that has changed, and and what he, and we also have to give credit to General Eisenkot, have done in Syria over the last two years, basically denying the Iranians a foothold, or at least as strong a foothold as they would have liked in Syria. That's an, an amazing accomplishment. And Netanyahu did that uh, also because he has a special relationship with Putin. Correct. Right? That goes way back. Yeah. 
and Putin very much respects him. So, so this I, I have to give to him. And maybe Israelis who are obsessed with security and they see a genocidal enemy coming on their doorstep with Hezbollah and Hamas and so forth, maybe, you know, they put that so on top and they, and he's not a warmonger. You know, I have a kid in the IDF. <clears throat> And I got to tell you, a few weeks wow. ago, you know, the bus was ready to take him to Gaza. Wow. And I was just praying to God that Bibi would decide Definitely. not to go. So Netanyahu you know, has showed great responsibility and restraint, even to the point of endangering his electoral base uh, in not, not invading Gaza, not going into Gaza, and not also, also being careful with Lebanon. So... There's no, no doubt also, I mean, he, he, he's, really, he's a very careful military leader. He's a very cautious and prudent military leader. It, and it's quite possible, Tomer, that uh, so much of this resonates with so many Israelis where they will sort of tolerate these horrible things that we look at from here, from the vantage point of America. This is and we see the chutzpah, yeah. the denigration of the legal system from a leader of a country and the kind of comments that we've heard over the years that feel like beyond the pale, I think just in Israel, it's seen through a different lens. Of course. This is taken to great account by Israelis. And another thing, so, so first, the security, the feeling that there is somebody who is taking care of this. Mm. Uh, Trust, this is faith. Also, the background here, we have to remember, is the trauma of the Second Intifada, buses and cafes blowing up. So we don't want to go back there. So that, that is to his uh, credit, uh, at least in the eyes of many in the center-right. And for the right, the fact that he stood up against Obama, against President Obama, and would not, and really basically uh, succeeded in, in, in derailing every Obamacare initiative mm towards a uh, settlement with the Palestinians. This for the right, the, the settlement movement, the religious Zionist right, uh, and other, others in the right is an amazing accomplishment. So that also for them is to his credit. In America, the fact that he's so close to Trump actually makes him look even worse because Trump is such a hated figure. For me also in Israel, yeah. but, but for the right, no. <laughs> right, I mean, it's so complicated. Uh, how do, how do you see um, the the elections coming around right now? I mean, is there any possibility that an alternate coalition so can happen? There is a Bibi? possibility, and and, and and also please comment on the the feasibility of Bibi staying in power. We know okay. it's highly likely that he's going to be indicted. There's going to be a hearing around July. It's highly likely right. that he'll be right. indicted, and right. if that's the case, can the Supreme Court force him to resign? What do you, how do you so see I'll that answer evolving? So I'll answer the second question first. Okay. Really, we are seeing, we are probably, almost certainly, at the last year of Netanyahu's political career. That I mean, for Netanyahu not to go to trial, and even I would say not to go to jail. What would have to happen is that he wins the election decisively, he forms a coalition, and then uh, pressures, and of course gets it in a written agreement, all, the, um, all his partners in the coalition to promise and then to legislate uh, what we call a French law, 
in which the leader of the country in France is the president here is, in Israel is the prime minister, cannot be taken to court while in office. Of course, for American presidents, this is also the case. And he would need 61 votes for that. He would need 61 votes, all of them in, I mean, to cooperate with him. To do that, which would be a tremendous blow to the Israeli legal system, to the rule of law, really, that's basically saying, yes, I'm indicted, but, you know, go to hell. Now, it's we have to understand that even if he wins the elections, it's not that all his partners in coalition will be happy to do that. They also mm-hmm. want him gone. Mm-hmm. Gidon Saar, Bennett, Lieberman. Mm-hmm. They also are not very thrilled that this guy has been in office, in the prime minister's office for the last 10 years and probably will continue. So so it will be hard for him to do that. It's possible, of course, for Netanyahu. Netanyahu is a brilliant politician, the best, certainly, in Israel. And he would have to promise them that he's going to reject the Trump peace plan because right. they are completely against course, it, the, any right. idea of a Palestinian that's state. That's right. But so, I don't believe that would be hard for him. I mean, I mean, Trump basi- right. I mean, Trump does what he wants basically. I mm-hmm. don't think, you know, unless Trump completely changes his mind and with Trump we never know that could happen. I mean, Trump basically does what he asks for. So I don't think this will be a great thing. So we're looking at some really dirty politics for Bibi to stay yes. in power. That's as prime right. minister. That's right. Uh, but I'm very glad you brought that up because I haven't heard that before. Oh, yeah. That's what he that's what he intends to do. That's the plan. So, but if that plan, and it has a lot of... You ifs. Know, uh, ifs. A lot of in, ifs. In the way, does not, uh, uh, does not complete, does not, is not completed, basically in a year at most, Netanyahu will be out of the political system. And he may not be able to get a coalition of 61 that's without... Right. The blue and white. Now here, that's, that's the, the the second question. And here, in order for blue and white to to win the election, to 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 form the next coalition, which might be also a coalition with the Likud, but them in in the head, the stars have to be aligned in a very special way. So for that to happen, two at least of the current small right wing parties would have to be disqualified and not enter the parliament because they get too little votes. As you might know, in Israel we have a parliamentary system, of course, and the minimum seats in parliament which you have, which which allow you to be in parliament, is four. So if you get enough votes for three seats, for two seats in parliament, not you simply, you're not getting into parliament, and, and all the votes given to your party are wasted. Correct. That's why he made the deal with the devil. Exactly. With the That's exactly party. right. Mm-hmm. With, with the Kahanists. Yeah. So for Netanyahu t- to to lose, uh, probably Lieberman, maybe Kahlon, Feiglin would have, or 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 um, uh, uh, or, or will, I mean, these these sort of parties will have to to almost get in, but not get in. Thus, wasting a lot of votes from the right and giving. The left, the center, center and, and left, either a 60-seat uh, block or a 61 majority. And w- what would that majority include? So you have blue and white, you have uh, Yeshatid. Right. So first of all, that the 60 or 61 will include, first of all, the Arab parties. Now, Kaholavan will not form a coalition with the Arab parties. It's, it's, it's unimaginable today in the Israeli political atmosphere. But the Arab parties will allow them to block any coalition that Netanyahu tries to form. Mm. 
once blocking Netanyahu, they will say, okay, you have no way in. We have, and what we are willing to do is, I mean, or what we want to do is for the Likud to join us. Mm. We will be in the lead. Netanyahu will probably then retire or, or I mean, right. or, or maybe be pushed out. Mm. And the Likud will be part of government. And then you get your 61 and then, plus. Uh, that's not a problem. But if the Likud refuses, they still maybe will be able to sway some center-right parties such as Kahlon's party, Kulano, Lieberman. Lieberman, who hates Netanyahu, right. uh, and, and, and such. Feiglin, I don't believe, will ever go with the left. That's, that's just... Maybe Meretz? No? Meretz? No, of course they will join. Meretz will join. For sure. No, Meretz, right, yes. Right, right. That's not... Yeah, and even Likud is so problematic because there's been such an anti-two-state solution evolution within Likud. Yeah. That's yeah, kind of that's right. disappointing. So even that, I could see that being difficult to uh, accomplish. It will be difficult, but with, with Netanyahu gone and, and with the the election really lost for them, they will they because will. Compromise. a huge issue, Tomer, is, uh, you know, after the election, dealing with America. They've been working on this peace plan for two years. We know for sure it implies some major sacrifices. And I don't think Bibi and Likud and his coalition are willing, are able to entertain it now. Yeah. Whereas I think mm-hmm. the coalition with Blue and White is a lot more amenable, at least, to have the conversations Definitely. That are but, I mean, okay, we st- the problem really is we still don't know the details of this plan. I mean, if the plan simply calls for an agreement between Israel and the Palestinians, really, even the Likud, Netanyahu will say to his supporters, look, I'm going to say yes on this. This is just technical. The Palestinians will anyway refuse. Mm. <laughs> they, they think Trump is, is pro-Israel, which is right, of course. And, and, and it, it, anyway, this will have no chance of going forward. This is one option. Another option is for this plan to be a much grander scale, saying, really, we're not even talking about the Palestinian, uh, to the Palestinians. We will. This agreement is between Israel and Jordan, Saudi Arabia, Saudi Arabia, uh, Morocco, whatever yeah. these states that the, the U.S. has a good relationship with and can sway to its uh, agenda. And then, then it will be a viable plan in a in a way that it doesn't matter if the Palestinians say no. This something will still move forward, and we can have Jews and Israelis living in Palestine in yeah, a future probably. state. Yeah, so but probably there will be all sorts of, uh, all, all sorts of, like slogans like that. Right I now, really how about d- Bennett? Bennett could never join a coalition with Blue and White, right? I mean, he's an annexionist. He, he wants to annex. LAC. Yeah, basically, base. I mean, I wouldn't say you know never say never in politics, but but Bennett has this principled uh, opinion that that he's uh, that you know no withdrawals anywhere, mm-hmm. and in fact we will annex yeah. Area C, etc. Right. Uh, it's not realistic. Yeah. No, yeah. it's 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 just a gambit. I mean, you know, this is. There are a hundred thousand Palestinians there, and what Bennett now wants to make them citizens and give them bituach lumi, our uh, social security, especially with Caroline Glick now yeah, with him, yeah. with her book. But I will say something. You know, the fact that the extreme right, not the Kahanist, but still extreme right, such as Bennett, really says we should annex Area C is something that we should, we should, we should, uh, we should listen to as a, a, an illustration of how far the right has gone from its 
היסטוריקל אופיניאנס. I mean, this, the right historically said, שתי גדות לירדן. The Jordan has two banks, both are ours. I see. So you see that so, as a type of compromise, if you will, from the historical... Of course. This historical. is really real politic. Yeah. So not only are we For not... For their standards, it is. I see. Yeah. Not only is Israel not going to have the kingdom point. of Jordan in it, in the, the great state of Israel, even really areas A and B, the central cities and, and areas of Judea and Samaria will not be ours. We are now saying, okay, we're just going to uh, annex Area C. Really? That's what he's saying. That's he's a saying, good point. He's saying we've given up. That's a good point compared yeah. to where they were. Yeah, of That's course. a sign yeah. they've come a long way and they realize that I don't think it's a good idea to have two million, yeah. you know, yeah, Palestinian right. Arabs. We're st- he's saying, yeah, we can, you know, we can swallow another 100,000 Palestinians and even that he won't do. <laughs> but, but, that's, but, but that's his compromise. And, and, Correct. Uh, and, and it, is, it should be looked at that way yeah. for this thing. Right. So I want to pivot. Okay. to a whole other area because I've always been fascinated by this idea that Israelis, uh, m- most of them after the army, they just go to the Far East <laughs> and they experience the world. Yeah. And they go to Nepal and Thailand and South America and so That's forth. Right. And I know you did that. Right. And it yeah. really sort of influenced your life. Yeah, very much so. Yeah, I went the way of all Israelis. After our compulsory army service, we have the compulsory trip <laughs> to the East. And my friends from the Nachal, uh, from, uh, uh, from my unit, went, and I went with them. We were, I was in Nepal and in India, and, and, and really that, as you said, it changed my life in a significant way because there I, I was exposed uh, to spiritual paths and practices that I could not uh, debunk as nonsense, basically. Right? Were you observant? At no, the time, I, I, you, sec- you grew up secular. I grew up secular and atheist in Haifa, right? In Haifa, that's right. Mm-hmm. So, and what does that mean, secular and atheist? Did you go to synagogue on Yom Kippur, or how far did you go with your secular? So that means thinking all religion and all tradition is nonsense, complete nonsense, and a waste of time, uh, and fit only for fools. And really, and and you know, going. Where did you consider yourself Jewish? You know, I don't think I asked myself the question. I was pretty young. I, I, you were Israeli. I, I was always obviously Israeli and obviously Jewish because that's just what, how I was born, but, but not in any, like, certainly not in a learned way and not in a, in a conscious way. Right. It was more ethnic. Yes. You were an Israeli, and then all of a sudden you're now in Nepal and you meet what? You meet a, a Buddhist teacher? Then what I, happens? I, quite a few, Buddhist uh-huh. and Hindu, and, and really... For me, the discovery that there is something there, that, that these traditions have a truth to tell, have a truth to discover, and, and that this is not just nonsense, and that this is worthwhile investigating into. And, and really, this it was for me the beginning of a decade-long, very ardent, devout uh, engagement with uh, Buddhist meditation, Vipassana, uh, which I, I practiced a lot. And on the way, really thinking to myself, well, well you know, this is a kind of silly uh, uh, practicing Buddhist meditation when I have, and, and reading Sanskrit and Pali texts in translation, 
when I have 2,000 and 3,000 year old texts of my own tradition, which I actually can read in the original tongue and discover what they act, you know, what they have to tell me. And so that led me to a, a whole uh, a path of, of learning about Judaism, learning about tradition, which I almost knew nothing about. And remember, this is, I don't, I, the, the situation is a bit different today, but when I went to Mamlachti secular school in Israel, I saw, uh, till the age of 18, I saw a Talmud page once, once, this one hour, where we were shown a photocopy of a Talmud page, and that's it. Hmm. So, so for me, it was... Uh, Do you remember the, uh, some of the first things you saw about Judaism after your decade-long experience in Buddhist meditation and stuff that, that made you think, wow, there's something here that makes sense too, and it's my tradition? Do you remember what that was? Yes. There were, there were a few reasons why I really was not only interested but, but excited about discovering my tradition a new, but and and but and, and one of the main the main things was the Jewish emphasis on this world, the Jewish emphasis on this life, life here on the world in 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 this physical material world, is the place where you discover the divine. The divine is not somewhere else. The world is not an illusion. The world is not something that you have to uh, get get over, right? That you have to wake up from. This world and what you do in this world, this is what counts. And this is how you worship and how you know the divine. Right. But in a certain sense, uh, a page of Talmud might be the exact opposite of a Buddhist <laughs> meditative experience. You have 10 wow. pages on how to squeeze the lemon on Shabbat. That's exactly. And 200 pages on the ins and outs of lending money and stuff. I mean, I personally have come to really appreciate that because it's the tachlis of life and it shows that we find... That's it. You know, uh, but but it doesn't make me think of Eid Bodedut and, uh, and, the, and the mystics of Tzfat, which that would feel like it would connect maybe a little bit more. It'd be maybe a more of a transition from your 10 years in Buddhist. But so you, but it's the Talmud that spoke to you? The Talmud and, and the general attitude of halakha and, uh, and this worldliness. That's fascinating to me, but, what you said, because, but, yeah. But, but, but for me, it was complimentary. I, I, didn't, okay. I didn't give up Buddhist meditation, but I needed... I see. I, I thought that... A gr- that, that Going into a, a, a spiritual search in which, at the end of, you negate the world, you reject the world, and you concentrate on a, a metaphysical god somewhere else is a very common spiritual trap. And I wanted not to fall into that trap. Okay, I totally get it now. You sort of came, came back down to earth. And it's so yes. ironic how the power of the Jewish religion is really these five centuries of debate on the minutiae. Of, of our tradition, which is really like real, real life, like 100 pages on yeah. how to divorce yeah. and, and lending money and all the tiniest details of life. And it feels so legalese, if it you is. will. <laughs> uh, I mean, I- and, and, and yet it's lasted for so long, for so many centuries. I can't mm-hmm. think of another religion that has put such holiness in such minutiae. Yeah. Uh, and I wonder if it's influenced us as a people 
the Jews because, you know, the temple gets destroyed in the year 70. And at the time, it was, you know, we're just revolving around this piece of yeah. real estate. Yeah. And then all of a sudden, we had to, Obviously. We had figure to change things out. Yeah. Change, replace the building. Judaism had to go through a f- tremendous transformation. And it did. And this dark, dark thing that we, uh, that we uh, mourn on Tisha B'Av yeah. might have ended becoming a, a blessing in disguise. Yeah, but look at the irony. Today, and the last decade has shown this more and more, there are Jewish religious activists wanting to lay claim of the Temple Mount and indeed to build the Temple again, right? So, so really, Judaism has transformed itself into a, a scholarly, uh, um, uh, legal, and, and observant, uh, uh, concentrated religion But the return and, home. But, and that's the exactly return it. return home is yeah. a, it has a trap built into it. Exactly. Which is giving us the arrogance yeah. of power and the exactly. material, exactly. material things, which we no. didn't have in Morocco, in Casablanca. <laughs> we didn't own anything neither, during the diaspora. We neither, never felt we owned anything. Neither we in never, Krakow. We, ne- we never yeah. tried to build this great synagogue. Yeah, this is, this is the temptation of, of actually owning the real estate, actually being there and being in power, being in, in, in sovereign power. And you know, Gershom Shalom, uh, the famous, the, the father of, of mystical studies, academic mystical studies uh, uh, of Judaism, said that, that really the question today is whether Judaism will be able to survive its re-entering into history while summoning up these messianic energies that have, been, that have been subdued till now. But now we're meeting them even on a daily basis in the Temple Mount, in Shiloh, in Judea, in the whole of Judea. And, and, and we, this is what we have to deal with. Yeah, you know, there is a, um, a part of the Western Wall, the Robinson's Arch, that I prefer because the rocks are broken yeah. and they're mm-hmm. on the ground. And I'm a lot more inspired there because it reminds me that we're a work in progress. There's a humility in that side of the wall that I don't feel at the main Kotel, which for me is just straight and arrogant. And the idea of galus, of, of uh, exile, is connected <clears throat> to humility. And somebody heard a yeah. rabbi once say that it's, it's also an attitude. So in the same way that Israel, now that it's returned home, needs to maintain that, I, that, that attitude of exile in the same way that Jews in exile should maintain the, the feeling and the memory and the attitude and the yearning yeah. of what Israel has. And this kind of brings us full circle to speaking about both communities. And it's so easy to forget about the, the exile attitude and the humility that comes with exile while right. you're living in Israel and you feel you got the, one of the biggest armies in the world and you feel so strong, so That's powerful. Right. Yeah. And then you see the Muslims, you know, controlling what used to be the holiest site in Judaism. You can almost understand how you can get sucked into that. You definitely, I definitely understand. Of course, of course. It's very easy to, 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 to fall into that temptation. But, I mean, but also I would have to say as a Zionist, I will have to say that this challenge is, is may, perhaps the most important for Jews today because, because here we finally have a chance to prove or fail that, Jew, that sovereign Jews 
can actually maintain a, 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 if not a model society, at least a moral society that, that actually we're not just talking about it. We're actually, we can do it. We can put our mouth where our, where our uh, texts are. If there's one place in Israel that I've seen do that and I spend a summer with them, it's the Shalom Hartman Institute, isn't it? I mean, I know you're, you're yeah. not supposed to say good things about the place <laughs> where you work because you're going to plug it and so forth. But no, I, I mean this from the heart. I mean, I yeah. I had a podcast yeah. with Danielle who runs it, Danielle Hartman. Yes. And isn't it accurate that I, this is a huge part of the mission is to bring... Exactly so. It's 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 the mission, and I'm I'm very fortunate to be working there, uh, and and yeah, I'm very proud of it. I mean, give this me an example of a class or some kind of project that you were involved with, that you are involved with. So that many speaks to that. speaking about Jewish values that we that we can, you know, uh, that we can. Uh, 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 that we can extricate from our tradition. Speaking about, uh, Daniel has, has, has a very fundamental point about the difference between Judaism of being and Judaism of becoming. Judaism as an ethnicity and as a in, born into a, a essential identity and Judaism that we have to make, that we have to prove to ourselves that we can do. I mean, a Judaism that is, is an ethos and that uh, as an ethos, you can also fail in accomplishing it, in, in, uh, in making it real. And that's, that's I, I mean, and laying this openly as the challenge that we are facing and trying to affect, to influence Israeli society and also U.S. jury to, to, to walk the, 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 the righteous path, right? To, to, to do what needs to be done, even though it's more difficult many times. And, and really, that's the challenge, of course. Uh, so, can I make a suggestion? Of course. All right. Next time you're back in uh, in Jerusalem and you meet with Danielle, I think you it's the perfect institution to begin a major project of trying to have both communities not necessarily agree with each other, but find some kind of a dialogue. I know that they've done it with I Engage. Yeah. But that's really mostly about understanding Israel and a dialogue about Israel. But I think we need now a dialogue about Judaism. But that's why I'm here, right? I mean, that's exactly <laughs> why you're here, and 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 we need it. We need to arouse yeah, more uh, curiosity among both sides. So rather than uh, instant judgment, curiosity and knowledge. I mean, most people simply don't know almost nothing about the other side, about how American Jews live, what's important for American Jews in Israel, and vice versa. I mean, the very fact that American Jews have to invest not only effort, but also quite a lot of money in their Judaism is a complete like mystery to most Israelis who get their Judaism. <laughs> From walking to the grocery store. Yeah, that's, and the government takes care of everything, and it's just on the streets and in right. the air and the atmosphere exactly. and the air we Chodesh breathe. Tov and yeah. new moon. Yeah. And here you have to make an effort. You have to Correct. pay for it also. And just knowing this will, I think, give Israelis a whole new and important reason to appreciate what, American Jews are going through and what they're doing. It's very easy to say to the reform and the conservative Jews, ah, you're just, you know, uh, disappearing, while not understanding what huge amount of effort and, and finance 
is needed in order for even the current situation to be uh, uh, to be viable yeah it's a it's it I've heard so much of the putting down of American Judaism because of all the intermarriage and so forth yeah. but that's just back to easy judgment of course uh, and it's also not understanding the character of American Jewry I mean intermarriage is already part of the deal it's part of what 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 American Jews do so so I mean you can even you can just switch your your point of view instead of seeing this as a great crisis and a, or a fatal crisis you can see it as not only as an opportunity but as as, 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 as a new way of being Jewish right when uh, a non-jewish spouse comes with the Jewish spouse to shul and brings the children and the children are raised Jewishly right this this is is quite a new development in the history of Judaism itself so you can now actually appreciate it we need therapy <laughs> you know it's interesting because whenever I hear peacemakers uh, they love to talk about we need to discuss what we have in common mm-hmm I just think it might be even more interesting to discuss what we have different and not be threatened by it. For me, it's essential that Israeli Jews will simply learn quite a lot from American Jewry. I and vice versa. And vice versa, of course. But you I know, smell your next book, Tomer. Yeah. Could that be a, yeah, an idea for a book? Maybe, maybe. Yeah, I have to finish the current one, but yes. What's the current one? Current one is about About Judaism entering modernity, about different Jewish identities and how and how really and and it's also about it I still have to decide what the central theme is, but it's also about the idea of Tselem Elohim, the image of God, and how it affected the uh, really the 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 formation of the modern world so it's so it's modern modernity and Judaism in modernity uh, altogether. Uh, forgive this gross oversimplification, but I once heard we you know we had two thousand years of biblical Judaism then two thousand years of rabbinic Judaism that the past two thousand years really were yeah. led by the rabbis post the uh, yeah, why not destruction of the temple and now we're approaching yeah <laughs> the next two thousand and it's like Judaism is searching for Definitely. an identity now because we're not in the age of rabbinic Judaism. Definitely. And just as you said before, when the temple was destroyed, Judaism had to go through a fundamental transformation and to do it successfully. Now, we are today rabbinical Jews because the rabbinical part, the, our sages and the Talmud and everything, they, they were successful in offering a new viable way to be Jewish. Which kept us together. Yeah. Now, way. other groups were not successful. We know that we had the Tzedukim and the Isiins and, and the Karaim or on the other side. And They were not successful. The rabbis were successful. Now, today we're going through another fundamental transformation in, in modernity. What, what was cannot simply stay as it was. And the question is now, what new form of Judaism will develop that will allow Judaism to really continue for the next 2,000 years? C- correct. And, and will this, these new paradigms succeed in keeping us together? Yes. And we have to remember that it probably will not look like a, a simple continuation of rabbinical Judaism, just as rabbinical Judaism was not a simple continuation of temple-based, mm-hmm. sacrificial, priestly Judaism. We need the prophets. Yeah, we, we, we have to grow some prophets.
We do. Yeah. We do. But I think they're growing. Yeah, there are. I mean, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm in the Bay Area, and I've been a few times to the kitchen with Rabbi Noah Kushner. I mean, mm-hmm. this is, she is a, a modern-day prophet. Really? The, yeah. The way she speaks, she's amazing. And, 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 and in, in Jerusalem, we live by Kehilat Zion with Rabbi uh, Tam- ben- Tamar Elad Eppelbaum. Right. Also an amazing... Benny Lau and Mickey Goodman. Uh, yeah. There's a lot of very good people. Uh, and, and, and really, I mean, talking about Israel, I'm extremely optimistic about the state of Judaism and Jewish identity in Israel and how it's developing, except, and this is a large disclaimer, except for what the Palestinian... Uh, issue does to us. So, but where the Palestinian uh, struggle ended and, 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 and some compromise and some deal would be uh, uh, done, were this the case, I would be extremely optimistic about how Israeli Judaism uh, would develop. And how about the way it's developing in America? Well, I, I actually am afraid... To, to say too much. I'm just here half a year and, and there's still so much to learn. I mean, I'm, I'm re- I really feel I'm discovering new worlds okay. every day. Worlds I have read about, but seeing them live is, of course, completely different. Well, we're uh, curious to see what you come up with in your new book. Thank you very much. Tomer, thank you so much for coming thank and you. hope we can do this again. I do hope to also. Thank you for having me. My pleasure.